0: I don't know if you've noticed but jesus is like everywhere today like everywhere i'm totally serious two thousand years have passed and the guy is still a magnet i mean literally you could stick him on the fridge on the back of your car he could be your co-pilot jesus is an action figure today he is a bumper sticker in case of rapture this car will be unmanned he is a t-shirt jesus is my homeboy He is the default answer for every child who is in a children's church program in this country. There's a story told about the children's pastor who is giving the children's pastor moment in the big church. And so that's when those, that's in churches that have like an altar with the big chairs on the altar. And so the children's pastor comes down, invites all the kids to come down, and they're all gathered there, and it's a beautiful picture moment. They're all gathered there at the altar. And the story is told, he he starts in and he asks the kid a question. He says, what is gray and furry and climbs trees? Cricket, 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 cricket. No, 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 kids, come on. What's gray, furry, erratic, has a tail that's always swishing around and chases after acorns. And one kid from the back goes, well, I was going to say squirrel, but I suppose the answer is Jesus Everybody today has got an opinion about Jesus. He's the son of God. People will say that. What's really funny is if you, if you ask the follow-up question, so what exactly does that mean? Uh, he's God's son? <laughs> you know, there's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's you know, I've heard. Some people will say Jesus is a teacher, good teacher. Some people like to talk about him as one of the enlightened figures of human history. He's an enlightened man. Mohammed was an enlightened man. Buddha was an enlightened man. He he opened the door into the unseen, and he was one of those people who had the capacity. My favorite is for our friends that have gone to Florida. As they were driving down I-75, they passed several billboards on their way to the Sunshine State, right? If you've been down I-75, you know the corridor of which I speak. One billboard after another, Jesus is the answer. What is the question? You're like, well, didn't you go to children's church? It doesn't matter what the question is. Jesus is the answer. Jesus. Okay? It is a word. It, uh, there is a word, though, there is a word that is used to describe how Christians talked about Jesus in the early days of Christianity. There's a word that's used to describe their speech, their confession of Jesus in the early days of Christianity, which is so Different, let's be honest, than the way Jesus tends to be used today and the way people tend to speak of him today. All right? And I, I'm going to read several of these from the book of Acts because this is like, you know, the early Christians. Um, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and are not for you to know, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. "...telling everybody about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done in your name." So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews... When Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it's necessary first that we preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you've rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy, we'll offer it to the Gentiles. Now, there's a winning sermon right there. Those hearts, you condemned him. We're going to go elsewhere. Okay, boldness, boldness, boldly, bold is a word that pops up time and time again about these early Christians. They're talking about Jesus in a way that's bold. Where do we see that kind of boldness today? Or do we see it? I mean, apart from the guy who's wearing the camel hair robe, has the cross, is standing outside of Hughes Auditorium with a bullhorn going, you Asbury students are going to hell. You know the guy I'm talking about. So you're like, yeah, he was at campus last fall. Okay? Apart from him, where do you see boldness i kind of i want to i want to open up a passage today and i want to put something on your radar and i want to suggest to you today that jesus will build his church if we will boldly confess who he is in the context of our relationships and where god's put us jesus will actually build his church if we'll boldly confess who he really is at the right moments, at the right times. And so in order to do that, I want you to look at a passage with me that's found in Matthew. Matthew's gospel. It's the first gospel of the New Testament. So you just go to the New Testament. It's the first book. Oh, it's amazing. It's great. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 13. Uh, But I'll I'll set a little bit of context before we get into the passage. So Matthew uh, chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 19. Um. Jesus had been teaching in the lake region of Galilee. So there's these lakes, there's lots of fishermen, uh, largely uneducated, largely poor, uh, this area of Judea. And, And he spent a lot of time there. They did miracles, they did all kinds of things. He was like the big draw for all of those towns of the lake region. But he decides to take his disciples and head north to a different region. And so they travel some 25 miles, and they go uphill 1,500 feet to this town called Caesarea Philippi. And it it had just gotten renamed Caesarea Philippi, so they were like, Woo! We're so excited! It's awesome! Woo! You know, come to Caesarea Philippi. Um, In the Old Testament times, this would have been the tribe of Dan up north. And in the Old Testament times, uh, Baal was worshipped a lot up there. Um... And so in this, in this particular century, in the first century, when Jesus arrives with his disciples, um, it's a town that's populated largely by Syrians and Greeks who worshipped the Greek god Pan. And you're like, like Peter Pan. I know, the Greek god Pan. He was totally in, in that town. In other words, this place is as pagan as it gets in the ancient world. I want you to have that context for what takes place there, knowing that this takes place there, and not in Jerusalem, not in the temple, not in some sacred place, but in the most pagan of contexts of the ancient world. So they're there, and Jesus asks a question. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, you all get he's talking about himself, right? Yes. When he says the Son of Man, he's basically saying, Who do people say I am? Right? Verse 14. Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. John the Baptist. Elijah. Jeremiah, people are thinking, you're one of the prophets. And the Jews of this time were expecting a great prophet to come along, and so they had this category, prophet. And so they took everything that Jesus was and, 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 and was doing and the things that he said, and they go, mm, okay, you're, you're a prophet. And they kind of shoved him in that category. They were shoving him in that category. You'll find that Jesus, when you read the New Testament, he totally and always wants to be redefining the categories. It's not just that uh, he talks about a kingdom. It's, it's how he defines what a kingdom is. It, it's not just that he talks about love and loving your enemies. It's, the, it's, it's what, it, how he defines the nature of the relationship. I mean, Jesus is constantly doing this flip the world upside down kind of a thing. And so the people, the masses, the disciples report, report, They have taken Jesus, and he's a prophet. That's that's what. And so Jesus has the follow-up question, verse 15. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I love this. All the rest of them. Right? Who do you say I am? And of course, Peter, being Peter, right? You know, ding, Peter to the rescue. I'm here, Lord. Ready? I'm going to give the answer. You ready for it? And boom, you are the Mashiach, the son of the living God. The Hebrew word Mashiach, which is what Peter said, uh, it simply means anointed, anointed. 39 times it's used in the Old Testament to describe kings. So in other words, Jesus isn't just a prophet. Jesus is a king. He's a king with a kingdom. Jesus rules just like a king does. Okay, so uh, if you've ever wondered why Jesus has the name Jesus Christ, and if you've ever thought, man, that is the weirdest last name. Why is it like Jesus Smith or Jesus you know, Goldstein, or, you know, even a good Jewish name. Why is it? So Christos, Christ, is the Greek word for anointed. It's the Greek word for Messiah. So really, it was Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus, or Joshua, the anointed one. So some of you, if you've never, if you've always wondered your whole life, that's where he got his, quote, last name. It's right here in this passage, okay? Right, so Jesus is a Messiah, and the Messiah for the Jews of this century was this kingly figure who, like David, would triumph in the last days over Israel's enemies. But Peter confesses that Jesus is not just the Messiah, but He's the Messiah. Dot dot dot. The Son of the Living God. Jesus is God's Son, and Jesus talks a lot about this, especially in John's Gospel. Right? I and the Father one. You know. Uh, In the baptism, Jesus is coming and the, the, the dove descends. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus has some kind of special relationship that no one else has because Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. And so Peter utters this string of words. And look what Jesus responds to it. Jesus replied, verse 17, You are blessed. Simon son of John because my father in heaven has revealed this to you You did not learn this from any human being Jesus replied you are blessed. He's not conferring a blessing On peter. It's this is more like matthew 5 the beatitudes where jesus says blessed are the poor In spirit blessed are so what he's basically saying is The fact that you know this peter You're blessed you're blessed man to know this, right so it's an acknowledgement and a recognition that that Peter has confessed. Peter has stated something that's real and true about who Jesus really is. so then uh, then he says this, now I say to you, so there's a connection between Peter's statement, Peter's confession of who Jesus is, and what follows. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and in my Bible. In the NLT, it's got this, which means rock. Because Jesus in the Greek says, You are Petros, and upon this Petra, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, if you went to a Christian college, you know that there's a little bit of contention about what this verse means. If you grew up Roman Catholic, right, you were like, Duh! You are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. It's the primacy of Peter, baby, apostolic succession. The Pope I'm talking about, do you not follow Catholicism? Yeah, there's this guy, he wears all white, there's smoke that comes out of the thing when they choose him. You know, there's like a billion of them on the planet, Roman Catholics, right? Okay, so, so Protestants came along in the 1500s, and they were like, oh, we No, 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 no. See, when, <clears throat> when it says here, you know, you are Petros and upon this Petra, when Jesus says upon this Petra, Jesus is referring to himself. <clears throat> yes, Jesus is the rock upon which he will build this church. And so Protestants wanted to affirm that because they didn't want to do the whole apostolic succession thing, primacy of Peter, blah, 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 blah. And it gets kind of gobbledygook. But I would like to point out one point of grammar right here what's this word if the rock were different it would be a different conjunction there in other words if the you know now i say to you that you are peter but upon this rock i will build my church it'd be a but but it's not a but it's a chi in greek which is and so in other words the two rocks are related Um, some of you that have grown up Protestant are like, oh, you're scaring me now, Max, okay? Well, Peter is the rock in this moment, in this confession. What does Peter acknowledge? You are the Messiah, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. In that confession, Peter becomes a rock upon which the church is built. And we see that in the book of Acts. They go all throughout the known world proclaiming what? The Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. They go proclaiming the gospel, and the church is built. Church history is full of people who were just like Peter, confessing boldly who Jesus was, and the church grows, and the church is built, and people come to faith and are made new, all right? So, let's let's close this out with the next couple of verses. Uh, Verse 18. Uh, Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell. In other words, the confession that I am the Messiah, the Anointed One, Son of the Living God, You take that, proclaim that, not even death itself, not even the powers of hell are going to stop it. The church is going to flourish. And I would say to you today that all across the world, the church of Jesus Christ is kicking butt. Now, I know in the West it's kind of waning, but I also know that when we kind of rely on wealth and we kind of make God just this extra thing that's not the lion's share of our life, but this appendage thing, you know, Christianity becomes weak and anemic. But I'm telling you, if you go to places like on the continent of Africa and Asia, the church is kicking butt. Jesus' statement and promise here is so on. It's just that sometimes the center of Christianity moves. There was a time when the center of Christianity was Jerusalem, wasn't there? The first few months, years of Christianity, the apostles, where were they? Jerusalem then persecution happens, and then it spread, and then all of a sudden the centers of Christianity are Antioch and Alexandria. And then, boom, more stuff happens. And then Christianity centered in Rome, and then it's centered in Constantinople, and then it's centered in the West, and now it seems to be going really well in places all over Asia. The church is literally kicking down the doors of hell, and that's not going to stop, okay? So... Uh, let's, Let's finish this last little verse Verse 19 Let's see if I can find it in my Bible And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven Whatever you forbid on earth Will be forbidden in heaven And whatever you permit on earth Will be permitted in heaven Now I will acknowledge that this is a kind of a This is a hard thing to understand And you can go to seminars Where people will talk about Binding and loosing and all kinds of stuff But I want to suggest something to you today. So, you know, this is Max talking now, so that's my little thing, right? This is Max talking. You can take it or leave it. But all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gets very, very upset with the Pharisees. And he gets upset with the Pharisees because they're keeping people from entering the kingdom of God. They have authority and power... And they are using that to prevent people from getting into God's kingdom. What Peter is charged with here is power and authority to confess who Jesus really is so that people are what? Brought into God's kingdom. And I think this language here, Jesus is talking about this larger uh, thing of You can either be like Peter and be bringing people, letting people into the kingdom by your proclamation, by your actions, or you can be like the Pharisees who, despite what they knew about God, were keeping people out of the kingdom. And isn't it true today there are people that fit the category of Pharisees. They know a lot about God, but everything that they do keeps people on the outs with God. Because you have to be a certain way, dress a certain way. You have to have these rules, and they've got it all mapped out, and it's very exclusionary in that sense, all right? So again, you can take that or leave that, uh, but Peter is given some kind of authority, and I believe it has something to do with the fact of letting people in and bringing people in to 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 the kingdom of God, all right? So... I want to kind of unpack where we've been just a little bit because We use religious words all the time And so today I want to ask us as a family of faith in an in in a uh, Princess bride way that word you keep using that word. I don't think that means what you think it means. Okay Here's what I mean by that Jesus is my lord and savior. How many times do you hear that said? You can go to an awards show, right? (laughs) Somebody will get up to a platform, they'll be given a trophy, and they'll go, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, And I don't mean to demean their acknowledgement of Jesus in that setting, but we throw those words around a lot. Do we understand what they really mean? Do we? When we say that Jesus is Savior, we're saying that Jesus and only Jesus can deal with my sin. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. Going to church every Sunday of the year, praying faithfully, tithing and giving financial offerings, witnessing, add in anything else you want to the list, all of that at the end of the day is not enough. I will not be able to earn God's favor or love I will not be able to, through what I do, be able to get God to go, Oh, Max, boom, here come the blessings, baby. (laughs) I am a sinner who needs a Savior. And Jesus and only Jesus can deal with my sin. When we say that Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, that makes me his servant. Actually, that makes me his servant. Slave. Everything that I have, every possession, the cars that I drive, everything is actually not mine. It's his. Do we really mean that when we say that Jesus is Lord? Do we really own that? Whatever your master asks you to do, if you're the slave, you have to do it. And that's the word, by the way, that the Apostle Paul used all the time. I am a doulos. Of the Lord. I am a slave to the Lord. I love... I've been watching uh, The Clone Wars on um, uh, Netflix with my youngest, Madeline. She's totally into it. Please do not give her a lightsaber for her birthday. It's the last thing I need is a lightsaber wreaking havoc in my home. Okay? The pretend one is enough and is knocking off enough things off the walls. Okay? So, but, but Maddie and I have been watching this, and I love love Count Dooku. Count Dooku is this totally powerful Sith Lord, and I've seen several lightsaber battles where he single-handedly is able to basically best Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. Like, the two of them together cannot defeat Count Dooku. Now, I haven't seen the original movie series yet. I know it happens, okay? But... In this, in this context, they, they can't do it. And, and so Count Dooku is this powerful, powerful Sith Lord, powerful evil Jedi, all right? But he has a master, Lord Sidious. And the, the, he will come on the thing, and this powerful Sith Lord will get down on one knee, While the guy's talking to him. And he'll be given orders. You know. Apprentice is what he's called. I want you to blah, blah, blah. And Count Dooku will go. Yes, master. And get up and immediately go to what he was asked and told to do. Without even giving it any thought. There in Star Wars is like a picture of what it means to be a slave or a servant. (laughs) To a master or a lord. We have this in our culture, and that's the language the Bible uses. Last but not least, we say that God is a creator, Um, but do we acknowledge that God created all the people that we encounter? Like, you know the people I'm talking about. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, you have to bring up those people? Those, like, came out of the ground, like those evil things from the Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. God made people. God made people, and so God made the people who like you and whom you like, and God made the people that you cannot stand. God made them too. God made them too. God made everybody. Do we acknowledge that? Okay. So let me ask some questions. In light of this passage, in light of some of the power of words and the power of confession, has anyone opened up the curtains for you spiritually in your life, given you a clear view of Jesus, to where, like Peter, in that moment you were like, Oh, there, that's God. That's who you are. I mean, has anyone ever helped you have that aha kind of a moment? Who in your life has pointed you to Jesus in such a way, again, that you've been like, yeah, clear view to where if Jesus were standing there, he'd be like, yeah, you didn't get that on your own. God, God has given that to you. You're blessed. Okay? Okay. Have you pointed anyone to Jesus in the last three months or six months? And and here's another question. I, I love this. This is from Stephen Mullen. If Jesus were to give a nickname to your faith, you know how, like, on a sports team you have nicknames. If Jesus were to give a nickname to your faith, what would it be? Like, Max the Marshmallow? Would it, You know, Bill the Blaze? I'm on fire! You know... Frank the flip flopper. I mean, what what would the what would the what would the nickname be? And then, even more importantly, what would you want it to be? What would you want it to be? There was a period of time in in my early 20s when I wasn't very bold confessing Jesus. I was a wuss. Like I, I can remember a time when somebody made the statement to me, "I wish Aslan were, were real." Boom! Talk about an opportunity. Whoop, walked away. Ding. Um, I, uh, uh, someone once said to me like, Max I can't do this anymore I need my life to be different Cricket, 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 cricket <laughs> You know Or um, Someone once asked me In my early child, Are you afraid of dying Max? No, I am a lord <laughs> <laughs> You know No, let it pass Let it pass Sincere confessions of faith Are what Jesus asks of us Because there is a lost And hurting we- world That needs us To to be bold, authentic witnesses. And so when you and I, like Peter, are acknowledging who Jesus really is, the church is going to be built. The church is going to be built. And I encourage you, as a practical point of application, you need to get, like, an elevator speech ready. Here's a practical way. To, you know, here's, you'll, you'll hear um, entrepreneur leaders talk about the elevator speech. The elevator speech is, if you get into an elevator with somebody, and you're starting a company, by the time it takes you to get from the first floor to the fifth floor with maybe one stop or two stops, you ought to be able to share your startup company in such a way that they're like, yes, I want to help you. Okay? I would say to you and me that you and I need like an elevator testimony that we're, that's boom, just there all the time. And, and so uh, for me, I condense it this is one of several I have, but um, one that just deals with one aspect of my life. I'll say, I'll say this. Here's, my, here's one of my elevator testimonies. Um, I kind of grew up in the church, and there was a point when I was 11 years old that I could sense God in the room and sense God in other people, and they had it, and I didn't, and I wanted it. And as I became an adult because of the things that I had in my own childhood and family life, I was a performance-driven guy and I was always trying to make it so that people liked me, so that I was getting A's in everything, so that I was the best in everything that I did. And what God has done for me is God has shown me that I don't have to perform to earn his love. That there is a God who made everything and who loves me apart from my performance. And it's been one of the most freeing things for me as an adult man to simply be and not have to do. That opens up conversations. And that's just like one little aspect, okay? So, but you need to... I want to encourage you to begin to develop an elevator testimony, okay? So today, today, you have rocks. Again, I know, it's like, what's up with the rocks? I know, you have rocks. Thank you for not hurling them. I'd like to point out that our container is getting fuller. But today... I want to encourage you, and I'm going to give you a moment. We have a video for you while you're doing this, but I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want, to, I want you to lay down the stone that you have today as kind of a symbolic way to say, for all the times, God, that I have failed to speak boldly about Jesus, I'm sorry. For all the times that I've denied ever knowing him, I'm sorry. For all the times that I've withheld what rightly belongs to him, I'm sorry. Today, Lord, I lay down this stone and I want to be called a disciple. Today, I lay down this stone and I ask that you would remove from me timidness and that you would put in me boldness so that the church will be built. Would you do that? So there's your charge.